0: Listening to the Central Church podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brother. God is good, and all the time, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Well, this morning, we have a lot to celebrate. We want to celebrate those who made that decision, that step to publicly proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ, but also today, we need to pray for our nation. Uh, We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for the election. We need to pray for our president, uh, regardless of who is in the White House, because here's what you have to understand. Our tribe is not of a donkey. Our tribe is not of an elephant. Our tribe is of the Lion of Judah, and we serve him, and we follow him. But we need to pray, and you're going to be getting an email in the next week or so that's going to give you a guide on how to pray for this election, and we want to make sure that you, we as a church, are praying for our nation. So let's pray right now. Father in heaven, how desperately do we need you this morning? Father, our nation needs you. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, but Father, our nation is not following you. So God, we pray that we, the church, would stand up that we would stand out, that we wouldn't find our identity in the Democrat or Republican Party, but we would find our identity in Jesus Christ. But Lord, we pray today that you would bless our leaders. The Bible says that we are to do that. The Bible commands us to pray for those in leadership. So Father, we want to pray for our president today. We want to pray God for his wisdom, but also we want to pray for his recovery. God, we ask that you help him and the First Lady to heal from this virus. God, we pray for others in Congress that are suffering also with this virus. We pray for those in our nation that are suffering. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will be done because it doesn't matter who's in the White House because we know who's in the throne room. And Lord, we are trusting you today. So God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our heart would please you today in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 16. We have a lot of sermon to cover in just a few minutes to get there. So Genesis 16 is where we'll be this morning. And if this is your first time, we are honored that you came to be with us on a rainy Sunday morning. And especially the 930 service. So thank you for being here. And those of you watching online, God bless you. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Genesis chapter 16 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt upon her mistress, on Sarah. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power Do to her as you pleased. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her, this is Hagar, by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. Now skip down to verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. You may be seated. How many of you really enjoy waiting? The great theologian Tom Petty said, waiting is the hardest part. Anyone who knows me at all knows that I don't enjoy waiting. Most people uh, don't like to wait. We like things that are fast. We, we love fast food. Some of you, I know that maybe in this uh, Corona apocalypse, have gone to a lot of fast food restaurants. And, you know, it's amazing how uh, that you can go and see a line at the fast food restaurant and you will drive somewhere else so that you can get your food even faster. We love instant downloads. We love fast lanes on I-4. We love fast passes at Disney and we love SlimFast. Why? <clears throat> because life is short and time is wasting. But God does his best and deepest work in us and through us in waiting. See, most of us, we think microwave, but God thinking crockpot. Most of us want to play checkers, but God is often playing chess. Many of us have prayed, God, would you please, Lord, would you please hurry up? But here's what I found. I'm in a hurry, but God is not. See, I want progress, but God wants process. See, it's in the crucible of waiting that God confronts our deepest lust and our darkest fears, bringing them out of the shadows and then releasing us from the slavery of those hidden idols. It's in the waiting that God reveals the sin within us. And it's in the waiting that we have a crisis of our faith that calls us to trust God more. Well, we're going through a series of the life of Abraham, and the life of Abraham is faith illustrated. It's not faith perfected. Abraham and Sarah, maybe you're new to this story, were called to leave the known for the unknown. They were were called to trust in the God of the impossible. They were called to take their hands off of their lives so that they can be a blessing to others. And God gave them a promise. He promised that he would bless them, that he would make Abram's name great, and that through Abram they would be a great and mighty nation. All the promises of God given to Abram hinged on one thing, having a son. Abram and Sarah have been waiting for now over a decade. Nothing has happened. Could you imagine waiting a decade for something? And in their frustration, Abram and Sarah decide to take matters in their own hands, and rather than trust and wait in God, they decide to plan and scheme. And here's what I want you to learn this morning from the whole message, that when we don't wait on God, we do crazy things and forget all that God has promised to us and has done for us. Now, in this, we're going to see three characters. We're going to see a scheming wife, a stupid husband, and a seeing savior. So let's look here at the scheming housewife. In verse number one, we're reintroduced to Sarah, who is Abram's wife. Sarah has been with Abram all throughout this journey. Sarah, no doubt, heard when God spoke to Abram in chapter 12, but also in chapter 15, that they were going to have a child. God had made those precious promises, And yet the Bible says that Abram's wife, Sarah, had borne him no children. She's now in her mid-70s with no child of her own. She knew the promises. So therefore, every month that passed, the hope of this couple rose. Maybe it will be this month. Maybe it will be. There was no pregnancy test. Maybe it will be this month only to have all of their hopes dashed because nothing happened. Sarah here is probably at this point of, of give up. She's, she feels like a failure as a person. She feels like a failure as a woman. She, she feels worthless. And the reason because she probably feels this way is because of her culture. Because in the Near East culture, the ancient Near East culture, a woman's value and identity were wrapped up in how many children that she had. So a woman that had no children in this day was considered to be barren or to be worthless. Now, as we kind of hear that, a woman that doesn't have children, and to call that person worthless would seem to be very primitive. But yet, every culture, doesn't matter what day or age, every culture puts pressure on us to either do something, have something, or be something. So whether it's the ancient Near East culture that said that a woman is worthless unless she had a child, or it's the American culture that talks about fitness or followers or financial status or fashion or education or parenting or body type or marital status or career, it doesn't matter. Each and every culture puts upon pressure. Each and every family puts upon pressure. And so regardless of the period that you're in, there's always pressure and expectation on you to perform. And therefore, if you do not do what that culture perceives that you should, Should do, or if you are not what the culture says that you should be, then you are considered to be barren. You're considered to be worthless. So for Sarah, it was being a mother. Even to this day, people feel that desire, that pressure. Did you know that one out of every six couples in America struggles with infertility? Some of you have gone through the pain and the hurt, and some of you feel the shame of, of not being able to have a child of your own. The matter of fact, the writer of the Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 30 says that there is one thing that is never satisfied, and that's a barren womb. Some of you have gone through this. And, and listen, as a, ch- as a church family, we want to be there. And here's the thing, you don't have to be biological parents to be a parent. You can foster, you can adopt, or you can spiritually disciple and raise up a next generation to love Jesus. But to Sarah, this was deep. As you read the text, you're going to see that this desire within her, the pressure that she feels and the desire within her is not just emotional, it's spiritual. In verse number two, she says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She talks to her husband, she says, it's God's fault. He's the reason why I'm empty. He's the reason why I'm broken. He's the reason why I'm buried. It has been, Abraham, 10 years and nothing has changed. You keep telling me all these promises. You keep telling me how God's going to come through. But I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of feeling the pressure to produce. And so what she does is she devises a plan that sounds good but isn't good. In verse number 3 she says, Go into my servant Hagar. Now, Let's give you some background. In chapter 12, the family went to Egypt to escape famine in the land. God didn't tell them to go to Egypt. They went to Egypt. Every time in the Bible, when anyone goes to Egypt, it's never any good. Except for one point, when Jesus fled to Egypt, which was to fulfill the prophecy in Hosea, where he was to to be saved from Herod the the Great. But never go to Egypt. Ever. (laughs) Period. Unless you're with me on a trip to Israel and Egypt. Then you can go. And so while they're in Egypt, Abram and, uh, went there, and he lied to Pharaoh, uh, t- saying that Sarah, his wife, uh, wasn't his wife, but was his sister. And, and Pharaoh's like, "Man, she's a smoking hot, seventy-year-old," and um, he wanted to bring her home into his harem. But God here protected uh, Sarah and protected Abram, protected the womb of Sarah. And God put a curse on Pharaoh and his house, and Pharaoh sends them away, and he sends them packing with all kinds of riches and and wealth, and and one of the things he left Abram with was some servants, and one of the servants is a, a young girl named Hagar. And so Hagar is probably like the servant to Sarah, her attendee, and Sarah in her mind is like, all right, she's beautiful, she's young, she's attractive, you know, she's trying to think through of all the servants, which one's the best. And so she says to her husband, Abraham, we need a baby. I can't have a baby. She can have babies. Go be with her. Now you said, that is absolutely crazy. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a moment. But, but this was common practice. Matter of fact, this was found in the Code of Hammurabi, If those of you that are history nuts. It was a normal solution for women who couldn't conceive. It would be like IVF or surrogacy today. So the law, which was very clear, and the society both condone this practice that if a w- husband and wife couldn't have a child, that the husband could sleep or could conceive a child with a servant. So according to the law, the child that, w- that the husband would have with the servant would be the child of the first wife. It wouldn't be the, the, woman, the, the, woman, the slave woman's wife, uh, the child. It would be the, the, the first wife. But here's what you find. Just because something is legal and just because something is socially acceptable doesn't mean God condones it. And it doesn't mean that it's wise. So here, Sarah is very religious. She believes the Lord. She has prayed. She practices her faith. But in this moment, she has stopped trusting God. She stopped trusting that God was going to give her a son of her own. So maybe in her mind, she saying, you know what? Maybe what God has been doing, Abraham, this entire time is he's been waiting on us to do something. Maybe, you know, we, we've been doing a lot of things, but maybe we need to try something else. And so maybe we should do this. Maybe God is, is a God that says he helps those who help themselves, and so it's not working with you and me. Here's this young girl, Hagar. Let's do this because this will make things quicker. The, the question that, Hagar, or that, that Sarah doesn't ask is what is right. She asks what will work. Because in, in her mind, the ends is what's going to justify the means. And the reason why she's so... Into doing it now is because of what she really wanted. Because in this moment, she had to choose between trusting God and having a baby. And which one did she choose? The baby. She let the questions and desires of her heart dictate the faith of her life. And so she chooses to rush it instead of waiting for the promise to come to her. She wants to pursue the promise and go after it herself. But here's what you have to understand. That's not what God wants for us. God isn't just saying, listen, you've got to pursue it and get ahead of me. No, he's saying, wait for me. Let things come to you. You don't have to chase everything. Now, as a young person, that's been a struggle in my life. I don't like to wait, but here's what I learned about waiting. Waiting reveals things about our lives that few things do. See, this woman was willing to let her husband sleep with another woman just to get what she wanted. She was in a hurry, and the waiting has revealed who her real God and who her real salvation was. It was this child. She knows, she shows here, that what she was really after, what she really wanted, what the culture said she needed to be normal, was a baby. She wanted a baby more than she wanted to trust in God. But the problem is she didn't see the long-term consequences to what she thought was a short-term solution. So she set aside trusting God to make things happen without considering the cost. Why? Why would she do this? I mean, you think about this. Why would anybody do this? Because in her mind, apart from having a baby, she could never truly be loved or be somebody. Here's a woman who is supposed to be free. But yet she is more enslaved than the slaves that live underneath her. She was enslaved to her own desires and the cultural expectations around her. And you say, well, wow, that's Sarah. What Nothing about me. But if you have to understand, all of us have our own things that we're enslaved to. What is the thing that you're enslaved to? What is the thing that you dream and scheme about? What is the thing that you feel like you have to have or you have to do or you have to achieve to be valued or to be loved or to be somebody in the eyes of your family or friends or the culture around you? What is that? For years and years and years in my life, and I don't mind going ahead and sharing some confession here, for years and years and years in my life, a struggle has been building up a big church and having a big ministry and a huge influence. And that's been a struggle in my heart. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you would confess. Confession's good for the soul. You should try it. At the end of the service, you can come on down. And if you don't want to do it here, well, I'll pull that back in. Pull that back in. If you don't want to do it here, you can find somebody and confess it to them. So anyway, what I want to say is this, is that whatever it is in your heart that you dream and scheme about is the thing within you that is really who your God is. When it comes to choosing between waiting and trusting God or planning and scheming, what are you going to choose? Because the waiting will reveal what truly is your God. So that's the scheming housewife. But the second thing I want you to see is a stupid husband. I know some of you said, I can't believe the pastor said stupid in the servant. When you read this text, you're going to see he was stupid, okay? So Sarah comes to Abram with this idea. Could you imagine that conversation? And I want you in this moment to put yourself in Abram's shoes. He has been waiting just as long as Sarah has been waiting. And he knew that this custom was both legal and socially acceptable. But he also knows that God does not want that. And he knows that he's going to have an heir in his, of his own DNA. But yet, here's the thing you have to understand. God's made this promise, you're going to have a kid. And do you know before God gave the promise to Abraham, he gave Sarah to Abraham to be his wife? Before the promise, God gave him a wife. And in this moment, the Bible says that when Sarah tells this crazy scheme, that the Bible says that Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. In his mind, he's listening to the voice of reason. But guess whose voice he's not listening to? He's not listening to God's voice. That's not the first time that's happened in the Bible. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that Adam... Listen to the voice of Eve, not the voice of God. And so here you see Abram, who perhaps is feeling domestic pressure, or perhaps has some sort of idolatry where he set his wife up on a pedestal, where he wants to live for her happiness. He goes along with her plan. I just imagine him saying something like this, whatever you want, baby, I love you. I'll do this for you. I know she's 50 years younger, and I know how much this means to you, and I promise you I won't enjoy it. But because I love you, I'll do it. Now, my first reaction, if my wife were to come to me and say this, is I would say, is this a test? (laughs) Because sometimes my wife will tell me to do something just to see my reaction. It'd be like my wife coming to me and say, you know what, Alan? I've been thinking, why don't you go play golf all day with your friends, go out and have a nice lunch. Matter of fact, be gone all day. I'll stay here, clean the house, take care of the kids, and be happy when you come home. Let me tell you something, men, they never mean it. They never mean it. And there's a man of years of experience that's messed up more than any of us in this room. But the reason my wife, this is like, a, you know, like on the radio, it says this is a warning. This is this is a test. It's only a test. This is not a severe thunderstorm. Like this is just a test. That's what needs to go in your mind if your wife ever comes up to you and says, hey, you know what? i got a friend. We can't have kids. Why don't you sleep with her and we'll have a kid with her? D- listen, guys, don't do it, all right? Just don't do it, all right? And I know this is 930 service. It's already gone off the rails. But here is the dilemma. Ad- for, <laughs> Abram knew that to receive the promise, he needed to have an heir of his own DNA. Because he already came up, hey, what about this dude from Damascus, Eleazar? And God says, no, you're going to have a kid from your own loins. Yes. And so, there's a dilemma here. Does he listen to the voice of reason? Or does he listen to the voice of God? So think about this. If he sticks with just Sarah. And says, Sarah, I, I, this is a, a, it's a good idea, but it's not very theologically good. I'm going to stick with you. If he were to stick with with Sarah, he would be trusting in God's promises to provide a miracle. That that if he chooses to trust that God's going to do, even what it doesn't seem to be physically possible, he knows that he's just going to trust in divine intervention. But, But if he goes with Sarah's plan... He's going to then put his trust in himself and what he can do and what he can control and he's now here going to put his trust in self-achievement. So the dilemma was this, do I trust in divine intervention or do I trust in self-achievement? Later on, and this is going to be eye-opening for some of you Bible scholars, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul's going to use the story here of Abraham and Hagar and Sarah as an illustration of being saved by faith or trying to save yourself by works. He's going to say, Paul's going to say that when you turn to obeying the law to bring yourself closer to God, you are pursuing the way of Hagar that you're pursuing works. You're, you're making yourself your own savior. You are putting your trust in you, not putting your trust in the promises of God. If you put your trust in the promises of God, not the works of the flesh, you're walking by faith, not by sight. But when you put your trust in your self-effort, in your goodness, in your moral record, and your religiosity, that is when you're following the way of Hagar and it may look attractive, but it never works. What does Abram do? Well, he, he makes a stupid decision. He doesn't walk by faith. He walks by reason, by sight. He went into Hagar and she conceived. Now, we don't know. We we have a hindsight of knowing everything. But I'm assuming that in that moment, Abraham finds out he's going to be a daddy. It worked. And immediately she is pregnant and Abram and Sarah probably thought, this must be a sign from God. It worked. But here's what I've learned. Bad decisions work for a little while. But consequences take a little while to kick in. The Bible says the pleasures of sin are but for a season. The real consequences are going to begin to kick in as the baby bump begins to show. And as that baby bump begins to show, there's going to be tension that comes in the house. Because here's what you have to understand. When the consequences of sin begin to fall, relationships always suffer. The Bible says here that Hagar then is going to now, she's running around, she's got this baby bump. She's now going to look at Sarah with contempt. That word contempt means to belittle, to, to make feel insignificant, to be dishonorable. Now she feels like, wait, I'm more of a woman than you are. Again, you have to think of the cultural things around her. A woman's worth and value. I'm not saying this is right. A woman's worth and value in that culture was how many kids you can have. And so in this moment, Hagar, who was just a lowly slave girl from Egypt, now in her mind feels like that she is better than Sarah. And maybe if she doesn't feel that way, Sarah thinks it. And so Sarah's mad. What does Sarah do? Verse 5, she goes to Abram. Now in the Hebrew, this is very graphic language and we're not gonna use the graphic language, but here's, I'm gonna kind of make it less graphic, but here's what she's saying. She comes to Abram, Hagar is pregnant. She's now kind of just can't handle Hagar anymore. And she says to Abram, this is all your fault. It's your fault. I gave you permission Literally in the Hebrew, and if, I hope this isn't too graphic, but literally in the Hebrew it says, I put her between your legs. That's what it says literally in the Hebrew. And look how it all turned out. Instead of bringing joy to our home, it has brought nothing but misery. And so now she gets religious. She says, God's going to deal with you for what you did, Abram. Before she didn't have God in the, in the equation. But now she brings God into it and appeals to God to fix the problem. And so what does happens in verse number six? You would think that Abram, the man of God, would stand up and stand out and take responsibility. But what does the dude say? He says, behold, your servant is in your power. You do with her what you want. In other words, it wasn't my idea. You made your bed hard, honey. You lay on it. She's your servant. You fix it. He's passive. He doesn't take any kind of responsibility. And he's callous to that baby that's his. And so the Bible says at the end of verse number six that Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. That word harshly is again a pretty pretty word. Basically, she beat her up. Same word used in Exodus to show how the Egyptians treated the Hebrew slaves. And she ran away. Now, I want to give you a little commercial thought. Because some of you maybe have never heard this story in the Bible and you're hearing it now for the first time and you're like, what did I just hear? This sounds like Jerry Springer on steroids. <laughs> Skeptics will use this story as a reason to discredit the Bible. They'll say, look at, look at, you have one of the biggest heroes in the Bible is a slave owner who's sexually abused traffics a young girl, and then sexually abuses her, gets her pregnant, and when his wife gets mad, lets his wife beat her and run her off. You th- I mean, that's really the story, right? And, and people look at this and say, listen, Abraham and Sarah, if they were, we- were real, they are frauds. The Bible is fake news. And here's what I found. when people And I've had people discredit the Bible because of this, and, the, and they'll do it, but here's what I found. People will discredit the Bible without truly reading the Bible. Because here's what you got to understand. I am not condoning anything that Abram and Sarah did here. But the Bible is not a book of virtues with moral stories. The Bible is a real book. It's a gospel book. It's a story of God's intervening grace and goodness to messed up people who don't appreciate it. And so a story like this doesn't discredit the Bible because if the Bible were made up, all the people that were heroes would have perfect moral character. This story doesn't discredit the Bible, it authenticates the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is not a story of good guys and bad guys. It's a story of bad guys who need Jesus. D.A. Carson put it this way One of the great features of the Bible is its sheer honesty. Great men and women are portrayed with all their warts. This remains a broken world, and the very best are fallen, and this should warn us against untamed hero worship. The very best in the Bible were messed up and broken. And if the very best in the Bible are messed up and broken, what about you and I? So in this story, Abraham is scheming and planning rather than resting and trusting. And the consequences of his sin are going to outlast him and are going to cause division that we feel this day. The Israeli-Era conflict is here from this moment in history. Instead of reminding himself of the promises of God and the guarantee that God made him, he forgot it all, and he's now going to learn the hard way through experience just how serious the consequences of sin and unbelief are. One man put it this way. And there's a lot of speculation on who this quote comes from, so I'm just going to say one person said this. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had how many times can you trace back in your life the moment you got ahead of God or you tried to help God and it led to nothing but misery and heartache? You say, if I would have just waited a few more days or a few more minutes or a few more months, it would have been better. It's in the waiting that God does his best work because waiting prepares us to truly enjoy when the fulfillment comes. It's like, I don't know if you've ever in your house had a a really wonderful home-cooked meal, and then you know that there's a really wonderful home-cooked dessert. And you gorge yourself on that really wonderful home-cooked meal, and then just instinctively you now want to eat the dessert immediately, and when you do, it doesn't taste as good. But if you wait after a wonderful meal, if you wait a little bit, if you wait 10 minutes at least, (laughs) or 30 minutes, or an hour... You can enjoy two good meals because you've waited. A lot of us, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. And we won't wait. But what waiting does is it prepares us that when that day of fulfillment actually comes, we can truly enjoy it. And that's what you see. You see a scheming housewife and a stupid husband. Neither one of them waited on God. But that's not the end of the story because God wants to tell us what happens to Hagar. And that gives us the last one, the seeing Savior. In verse number seven, Hagar runs away. She goes to the road to Shur. No one stops her. The, the road to Shur was a caravan route that went to Egypt. So most scholars believe she was headed back home to Egypt. This young woman is a victim of a sinful scheme to speed up the promises of God. She's young, she's pregnant, and she's a runaway fugitive. This caravan was known to be very this caravan route was very dangerous and very scary. So as she's out there, she's pregnant, she's broke, she's alone, she's a runaway fugitive, she's out there. The Bible says in verse number 8, or verse number 7, the angel of the Lord found her, and in verse number 8, he speaks to her. Notice what he says. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Did you notice something there? He calls her by her name. Where are you going? She says, I'm a runaway. I'm a runaway. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Go back. Go back. And then he tells her why, because this is what God's going to do. The angel of the Lord said to her, verse 10, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. God says, this is what I'm going to do. The angel says, this is what God's going to do. Go back. Go back to the beating. Go back to the pain. Why would God tell her to go back? Because God knew her future. God knew the best route for her life because he had plans for her life. And listen, for, for an angel to appear to this woman and tell her that you are going to have offspring that are multitude and this, this son of yours is going to be a great person would be probably the greatest dream any person in that day would have ever hoped for. But for her to receive that blessing, she had to go back and wait for God to move in her life. She had to go back to the place of pain and wait for the cure She had to wait for the hope and promises that God gave her for her future. And listen, what I found sometimes God calls us to do things that are difficult, but they're on a greater way, they're on a way to a greater blessing. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are difficult, but are on the way of a greater blessing. And God, in this text, promises her that He's going to protect her and He reassures her that He sees her and that He cares for her. He even gives a, a name for the baby Ishmael. God hears. And in this moment, the angel of the Lord says, I've been listening. It's not just me and the Chinese. It's me. I'm watching. I'm listening. I know your pain. And your son. He is going to be a great man. I've heard your cries. I see your life. This kid's going to be a wild donkey. Now, that would be kind of scary. Your kid's going to be a wild donkey. You're like, is he going to kick a lot in the womb? What's going to happen here? He's going to be famous. And we know this. Listen, this is the Arabs. To this day, there's strife and division. So what does she say in verse 13? This sermon has just gone completely downhill, but let's get to verse 13 at least. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing, or you are the God who sees me. Elroy, Elroy, you are the God who looks after me and she says truly i have seen him who looks after me now in the hebrew there's a little bit a little bit more of a nuance that she is amazed she says how can i see the god who sees me and still be alive how and why would the creator of the universe come to a lonely pregnant woman on the road to egypt and call her by her name and give her precious promises well who's the angel of the lord It's not an angel of the Lord, it's the angel of the Lord, it's God. And you know, normally, as as we've gotten into the Bible here, normally when God shows up, there's smoke, there's fire, there's shock, there's awe, there's thunder, there's darkness. That was chapter 15. But here God comes in a very ordinary way, in a very accessible way, saying to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. Who is that? Scholars say it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The high and holy dwells with the meek and lowly. We see that in the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is the glory of God who has come near to us in grace. Jesus is the one who saw her rejection, who heard her cries. He knew her entire situation. He knew her past, her present, and her future. And why is it that God would hear and care for a single mother? Why would God even know and care about us? It's because of Jesus. See, Ishmael means God hears. Elroy means God sees. Emmanuel means God is with us. The God who sees us is the God who hears us, who came here to be with us. He knows your name. He knows your pain. He hears your cries. And he loves you just the same. And he's here. How can I know that? Because Jesus was cast out. Jesus was treated harshly. Did you know that Jesus was rejected for nothing that he did? He was beaten for nothing that he did. He was put on a cross for nothing that he did. And God the Father even turns his face away and refused to hear his cry so that Jesus said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus cried out on the cross, he heard nothing but silence so that when you and I cry out to God, he hears us and responds to us in love. See, God did not look at His Son on the cross so that He could look at us with love so that we can look to Him by faith. Do you realize that? The God who sees on that moment on the cross didn't see Jesus. The God who hears Ishmael did not hear His Son and He did it for you and me. When we don't wait on God, we do crazy things. And we forget all that God has promised to us and has done for us. See, Abram and Sarah did not wait on God but put their trust in themselves and it almost destroyed their relationship. But God shows us through Hagar that he has plans, that he sees us, that he hears us, that he knows. And therefore he can be trusted. And so we have to learn to wait on him. And listen, sometimes the Christian life is two steps forward, one step back. But here's what I found, you're always going forward. Because it's often in failure that focuses us on the power and the promises of God. I want to end with this, one thought. God has proven over and over again that he is worthy of our waiting. So why won't we wait on him? You know, waiting by definition has something hoped for at the end of the wait. God never promises that our seasons of waiting will end by receiving exactly what we want. Not all infertility ends with a baby. Not all cancer ends with a cure. Not all singleness ends with a spouse. Not all seasons ends with a championship. And you know what that means? It means that our hope cannot be anchored in the thing we're waiting for. Our hope has to be anchored in the one we're trusting in. And his name is Jesus. Because in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces, every minute, every moment where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. And for you this morning, whatever you're going through, Jesus is here. He can save you. You don't have to trust in your flesh to earn a favor from God so that you can maybe go to heaven. You can just by faith put your trust in Jesus, what he did for you on the cross. You can trust him. Those of you that are waiting on a cure, those of you that are waiting on a job, those of you that are waiting on a spouse, those of you that are waiting on a promise, wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait on the Lord. Trust in him wait on the Lord because good things come to those who wait this morning we're going to in a moment be taking communion hopefully you were able to get those elements and before we do so I want to have a time of prayer then we're going to have a song that I want you to hear that I feel like God will hopefully bless your heart with but if you're here this morning and you're online or you're in this room and you need Jesus or you need somebody to pray with you or you're struggling or maybe you need to have someone talk with you today, we want to be there for you. And you can text into this number, 407-338-4024. And you can text in here or you can go to our Next Steps room or you can go see somebody here in our lobby that would love to point you where you need to go to talk to somebody. But if you need to make a decision for Christ, do so today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to wait for you, to look to you and not ourselves, to not put our hope in our flesh and what we can do and our dreaming and our scheming, but to trust wholly in Jesus. Father, I pray this morning for those that are online, that are watching, that, God, they're struggling with some things, that, God, today they would put their trust in you, and maybe they would text to this number. Maybe someone in this room needs to give their heart to you. Father, would today be that day of salvation. Father, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.